Hey guys, Anna Victoria here, and I'm so excited for you to join me on my podcast, Your Best Life. I'm the CEO and founder of the FitBody app, a fitness influencer, and a personal trainer. Every week, I'm going to have a special guest that will share their unique experience and unique story to share how they learned how to live their best life, even if they're still working on it, since we are all a work in progress. I can't wait to help you learn how to create your best life. Welcome back to another episode of Your Best Life Podcast with Anna Victoria and Luca. Hi, everyone. So today's guest is Abby Sharp, who is a registered dietitian, food writer, and blogger, author, TV and radio personality, and the founder of Abby's Kitchen, Inc. So I discovered Abby only within like, I would say maybe a year ago at the most on YouTube, because she's a registered dietitian that kind of does these videos where she will debunk certain nutrition myths, but she will also go through and review influencers diets. Yeah, videos are really cool. Yeah. yeah, her videos are so great and so informative. She also is very outspoken about, you know, diet culture and being anti-diet culture, anti-diets. And so um she's someone that in terms of like who I've had on the podcast, she has a very different take on kind of how she approaches healthy living, which I think is going to be so amazing to dive into. So Luca, do you do you have anything in particular that you're looking forward to? Us chatting about? I'm actually have a curiosity, and because you've been eating a lot of dates and you've been <laughs> having raspberry leaf tea. Speaking of debunking, right? I really want to know what she thinks about that. Yeah, no, for sure. I think like pregnancy myths is like, and just overall, like there's so many old wives' tales that you know you hear in pregnancy, and also I do think that. Okay, red raspberry leaf tea and dates are definitely on the safer side of like the old wives tales, but there are some things that it's like they're just people aren't going to set do tests on pregnant women. It's not ethical, you know, and so it's really hard to right, like get right. really good, you know, uh studies and things on on what is safe. So so yeah, um Makes I will sense. definitely ask her about the dates, but hey, I love dates, so I have no problem eating yes. them until, you know, the sun goes down and but for the red red raspberry leaf tea, yeah, that's an interesting one that I've heard about. So all right. So guys, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Abby Sharp. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for joining us on Your Best Life. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. So we are both pregnant. Oh right? my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. How many weeks are you now? I am 36. So I'm on the home <gasps> oh stretch. Oh my gosh. You know what? That's right. You're right. I'm 38 tomorrow. Oh my goodness. So anytime. I, I know. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, well, great. Do you want to share with everyone a bit about who you are and what you're about? Sure. Um, I'm a registered dietitian, um, a YouTuber, blogger, um, a kind of social media influencer. And, and I've been doing this for almost a decade now. Um, so that's pretty exciting. But I am the owner of Abby's Kitchen. So um, at Abby's Kitchen, we share recipes on on the blog, but also with the YouTube channel, there's a lot of like um, myth debunking and discussing um, kind of 
problematic social media culture as it as it pertains to wellness and things like that. And then I'm a big promoter of of intuitive eating and um, kind of body neutrality and body positivity and things like that. So, and of course, as a as a mom, I, I am a mom, and this I'll be a mom of two very shortly. Um, and I am also uh, very much in tune with um, baby feeding and family meals and family feeding and those dynamics as well. So that's a big part of what I do as well. Yeah, I actually found you only within the last year on YouTube. And when I found your videos, I was like, where have I been? Like all of her videos are so amazing because I, I do love the debunking mm-hmm. stuff that you go through and they're so informative. So um, how, how did you get started in the nutrition field? So interestingly enough, I mean, it's always funny how people find their, their way into their career. And, and, and in my case, and I think in a lot of people's cases, it came from just personal experience. Um, when I was uh, a teenager, I struggled with what we now know of as orthorexia, which is kind of clean eating taken to an extreme. And it's not an official eating disorder in the DSM, the same way that's not like anorexia or bulimia is. Um, but nonetheless, it can be just as physically and psychologically dangerous as um, some of these official eating disorders. So um, for me, I had experience working with a dietitian, and that kind of gave me the the idea of what what these what what dietitians can do. And through my own healing, I was kind of empowered and and encouraged to want to help others as well. Orthorexia, I feel like, is something that gained a lot of popularity with the rise of social media. With, would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, and unfortunately, I think social media in a lot of ways kind of perpetuates um, a lot of these issues. Um, and that's largely comes down to the fact that we're so accustomed to scrolling through our Instagram feed and seeing nonstop imagery of, you know, perfect Insta, Insta-worthy meals and inspo, like fitspo and things that are ultimately unrealistic. And I can say as an influencer that things that you see online are not real life. And the the things that you see on my my Instagram feed I wouldn't normally make it like that. Like I would right, carefully right. put the mint leaf um, in that specific <laughs> spot. Like I'm just trying to wolf down anything at this point with as a busy mom. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that we we have these we've built up a lot of expectations in um, and it's and it's around wellness and around bodies. And I think that that is a largely as a result of being so engrossed in social media. Yeah, I actually on the note of making your food look pretty, I so rarely post what I eat just because like it's not gonna be pretty and I feel like people are gonna be like oh like that's it's it's nutritious Mm -hmm. you know and it's filling but it definitely does not fit the Instagram standard of you know what people honestly want to see totally so in regards to orthorexia so I've had a lot of girls you know in my community so I'm a personal trainer I have an app you know I have you know workout programs and meal plans but my message has always been about like doing it first and foremost for your health Mm -hmm. and any physical changes are I don't want to call it the cherry on top I feel like I say that sometimes and that might be kind of still putting it on a pedestal a bit but you know it's just a side effect right? right you know but definitely early on, I I got started in kind of the Instagram world very unintentionally, late 2012, early 2013. So I've kind of been in the industry, the Instagram industry since the beginning. And I also kind of fell into that clean eating mentality of I'm just going to eat clean. And then obviously, as I became more educated, became certified and started turning more to clinical, you know, uh, trials and studies, 
realizing that there's no such thing as clean or dirty or good Mm -hmm. or bad. Um, One thing that I do get kind of tripped up on is like people no longer like the term cheat meals, Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel like for a while, like I, I, I want to say like full disclosure, I've never had any sort of disordered eating patterns or experiences. I am a numbers person. I love crunching numbers and macros. Mm -hmm. Like it just, it fills my heart with joy having nothing to do with food at all. Um, And so with that being said, like I have had to be very aware of how I present things because I'm always thinking of it from my perspective that I haven't had any disordered background, but a lot of women have. And I want to be respectful of that because obviously I have a platform. So I've struggled with, okay, I changed from saying cheat meal to treat meal. Mm -hmm. But again, that kind of is almost like potato, potato, right? Tomato, tomato. So how would you uh, suggest I describe someone that I talk about 80-20 a lot, mm-hmm. and I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But so for that 20%, I, I've started saying the time that you indulge. What do you think I should say? So is this your first child? Just Yes. Yeah. And are you having a girl or a boy? Do you know? Girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Like yeah. We've got to be even more careful. When yes. it comes to talking about quote unquote junk foods, which is, again, is, is kind of like the clean food, bad food mentality, which is yeah. a word that in, in, in that culture, we, we try to avoid. So one thing that I prefer, a term I prefer to use is fun foods. And I always tell people that, of course, we have to acknowledge, I'm a dietitian, I acknowledge fully that their, their foods are not created nutritionally equal, but we can make them morally equal by really carefully crafting the, the language that we use around them. So I prefer to use fun foods um, just to describe things like my son wants an ice cream cone. That's a fun food. It's not junk food. It's not a treat. Yeah. We don't even, we don't even use the word treat in my house. We, we just, my husband and I will be like T-R-E-A-T, but like <laughs> we don't want to say it um, because uh, I don't want to dichotomize food and I don't want those those kinds of foods to be put on a pedestal and for my, my kid to to think that well anything that's a treat is really good but something I shouldn't have so um, yeah I think thinking about things in terms of what are the foods that are going to nourish my body the best and make me feel yeah. my best um, physically and and what are the foods that are just going to bring me that that emotional joy and that yes. and, and that pleasure is just still so important and and I think that health is is not just about how you look or or your metabolic panels it's really also about how you feel emotionally as well and we need to to cater to that as well yeah absolutely and what would you say your thoughts are on 80 20 do you feel like that's a good approach to have or is it a little bit more complicated than that eh, I, I I don't, I don't mind the, the concept because, I mean, ultimately, I think it's as long as it's not being taken as gospel where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. 80%, I can't go 79, yes. I can't go 81, you know? Um, right. To me, it's just kind of like a, a very vague phrase that simply yeah. denotes that, yeah, of course, you want to feed your body mainly foods that are going to fuel you and, and give you a lot of the nutrients that you need and that are going to help you. I mean, when we're talking about children, help you grow and help you help you feel your best. And whether that means for adults, like better digestion or better energy levels, and you're not going to get those sugar crashes and, and things like that. So, um, of course, we want the majority of our of the foods in our in our day to reflect that kind of experience. 
Um, and then, of course, there should be room for for fun foods. Um, so yeah. I think as long as it's taken as kind of just like a general guideline and not something that people are really getting hung up on, um, then I think it's a fine way to look at things. See, and I notice that some do really get hung up on that 80-20 mm-hmm. number because I've talked about it really since the beginning of my journey. I, I came from a background of eating only fast food mm-hmm. and having complete, you know, I was on one side of the, the spectrum to an extreme and I knew when I started kind of prioritizing fueling my body, I didn't want to go to the other extreme mm-hmm. because that 20%, like you said, is so important for your mental and emotional well-being. And I knew that. And totally. um, but so and as I've talked about it, I I've gotten so many messages of like, well, what is the 80? What is the 20? How much is it? Like how to quantify mm-hmm. that? And I'm and I've always said, like, not in these words exactly, maybe sometimes, but you're missing the point. You know, the point is not to calculate out like a 20% surplus or, you know, Mm -hmm. have that being included. And I think that a lot of people don't like that answer because those people that are asking, they're they're wanting that, that very specific directive of exactly how much to eat. And so that's been something that, that I've struggled with in terms of how to approach 80, 20 and how to explain it, because I don't want to give people an answer that is just going to turn them away and have them go find someone that is going to tell them the exact amounts exactly I know it's so hard I mean and the same thing happens in in my industry and and um you know there's a lot of dietitians who who identify as like health at every size or haze and and who will refuse um to kind of uh, counsel a patient or client who specifically wants to lose weight because in their mind that you know that's just not aligned with their philosophy and 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 what they are willing to provide I kind of try to operate in a bit of a middle ground um, where I really try to meet people where they are. And and I acknowledge that if somebody wants to lose weight and you tell yeah. them, well, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to help you with that. They're going to find somebody that will. And, exactly. un- and unfortunately it might be with really dangerous information yes. um, or tactics and crash diets or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. for me, I really strongly believe in, in trying to, to kind of meet the, the client or the patient where they are, help them on their journey, help just give them informed um, information that's evidence-based on, you know, the pros of this, the cons of that. And ultimately a person has to make their own decision because they are the one that has to do the work anyway. So they're the right. one that has to to, to um, change their behaviors or, or whatever. You can't do that for them. So all you can do is give them that guidance, give them that support, give them that information. Um, And my mandate, of course, is to try to do it from the most um, evidence-based standpoint and to basically reduce the risks as much as possible while promoting as many benefits as possible. Yeah. Now, what about for people who, you know, they say, I want to see progress, but I do have a disordered background. I can't track anything but I want to see physical progress. So how, do, I mean, I know there's intuitive eating, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, fat loss comes down to a caloric deficit. Mm-hmm. So what do you suggest for people in that in that case? It's a really tough one. And it's something that professionally yeah. I'm struggling with um, mm-hmm. because we know that in a lot of cases when people do go on restrictive diets, especially when they have a history of a complicated relationship with food, it often backfires. And when I when I say backfires, I don't just mean that it fails and they didn't don't lose weight. I mean that it actually can increase their settling point and their weight can actually climb up higher. Um, and, and for a lot of people, dieting is the reason why they ended up larger than maybe they were in the first place. Um, and so 
for me, it's a risk benefit analysis that is just in individualized um, uh, situation. So if, if someone really does feel that by restriction, they're going to tumble back into their old ways. And for a lot of people, that's what happens, especially if they're just already predisposed to that. Then for me, I would prefer to work on self-love um, behaviors in general, like, and, and this goes regardless of where their, their background is, but my focus is more on behaviors. Let the weight do what it's going to do. So um, if you are, you know, encouraging people to, you know, get more in tune with their hunger and fullness cues, get excited about food, experiment in the kitchen, find some kind of movement that is enjoyable for them that they can sustain. Um, once they're doing all these behaviors, the weight will fall where it's going to. And more important than just the weight, like you said, is the health promoting benefits of right. some of these behaviors. So for me, yes, of course, unfortunately, social media makes everybody want to look like an Instagram model. Um, and that's just the society that we live in. But really at the at the root of it, I mean, what is the the real value in, 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 in all of these um, health outcomes? And to me, that's living a better life. And that's, you know, having more energy, better digestion, having, you know, living longer, not having um, to rely on medications for various ailments. Um, and a lot of that can be corrected by just simply changing some of these health promoting behaviors. Um, and even if the weight doesn't even change, and it will, it, it might, it might not. So it really depends on the person. Um, but I think that shifting the focus is often enough for people to stay motivated and not tumble into some of those disordered behaviors. Yeah. And I think that another thing that I noticed, um, is that a lot of people, like, for example, I'm sure the same for you, like you said, you kind of meet them where they're at, mm -hmm. which I think is such a great way of putting it. Um, because I'll have girls come to me that say that, Hey, I want to see progress. I want fat loss. And Hey, maybe that's the only thing they care about. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I feel I have a responsibility to safely guide them on how to do that. Because if I don't, if I just turn them away and just say, all that matters is loving your body mm -hmm. as it is now, you know, they're just going to go find someone who's going to tell them what they want to hear. What I try to do is like when they're, you know, in my community and, and in my programs is to give them the messaging of, Hey, this is great. You're working hard, but like also pay attention to the mental and emotional benefits and changes that are happening. Um, I actually wasn't planning on talking about this, but I had a girl come to my page and attack me yesterday. Mm. And it was someone who was a body positivity advocate. And she, she only saw the fact that I shared a few transformation photos and made a snap judgment that I'm all about prioritizing and promoting being skinny, which mm -hmm. is absolutely not the case. But the post that I, she commented on was a post that I did talking about how you know, it just said like at 16, you hated how you looked at 20, you hated how you looked at you knew wish you looked like you did at 16 mm -hmm. and so on and so forth throughout the rest of your life. And I'm talking about in the caption, like we need to stop this cycle, mm -hmm. you know? So she was criticizing me for posting that, but also posting transformation photos. And, you know, I tried to explain to her kind of this concept that if I don't exist in the middle, like as someone who's going to kind of, you know, speak to both sides, like we only have the two extremes and that's mm -hmm. not going to help, you know, mm -hmm. I want to say like overall society and my personal beliefs. So the, the transformation photo discussion is, is kind of interesting and something I've thought about a lot. So, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Do you feel like transformation photos can ever be 
helpful or do you think that they, there's something that we should do away with completely? Um, I think that it's an individual thing and something that if you are on your own wellness journey or fitness journey or what, whether that's health related or aesthetic related, yeah. there's no judgment. You know, any goal is a good goal in my opinion. And that is, yeah. that is a personalized thing. Um, but I think that if you yourself feel like you want to track your transformation and that's empowering to you um, because there's no doubt that, that, that changing your body um, or eating better or going, exercising more and starting a fitness regime, there's no doubt that those are challenging things for a lot of people, especially really busy people. Um, So if if that is something that makes you, gives you pride, um, then I think it's worth doing for yourself. Um, But when we talk about transformation photos on social media, I do think that there is a tendency for people to see these and A, sometimes um, have unrealistic expectations for what is possible for their body. Because of course, everyone's body is different and a photo or two photos don't really tell a whole story. We we can't tell somebody's health just by looking at them. And in some cases, and I'm not saying this is the case for any of your clients, but in some cases, you know, like people, people will become actually less healthy in their after photo. And so we have to be mindful of, of the fact that we can't really communicate that in an image. Um, and uh, and so I do think it puts a little bit of pressure on on people the same way that all of this stuff in social media does. Like all of the the extravagant holidays that people are, are showing <laughs> and and uh, and the and the smoothie bowls or the avocado toasts and and the cleanses and, and things like that. It it does, of course, bring people a little bit of anxiety, like, oh gosh. I need to do that and I need to make these changes. Um, And that just might not be possible for that person's body. Um, So I I am always hesitant about sharing those kinds of things so on social, um, I personally, with my own body, I, I mean, I'm not the kind of person who shows like photos of my body <laughs> other than in pregnancy. I'm like proud of, you know, it's, it's kind of right. cool to, to show a growing, growing body. And it's, it's almost the opposite of what we normally see. We normally see we, people getting smaller, but I'm getting bigger. So right. yes. <laughs> I'm happy to, to share that experience with people to just normalize it a little bit. Um, yeah. but but even still, I mean, I have to say that, you know, even being pregnant, I've never, I've never, I don't have experience living in a larger body and I, and I acknowledge my thin privilege there. And so even though my body is getting bigger and I'm gaining weight and, and I don't look the same way that I know that I, I usually look, um, I always am weary that someone else may be pregnant and may see me be pregnant and think, wow, I've gained too much weight or I'm so much bigger or there's a lot of comparison that's always happening. And, and so even though I have the best intentions, I always am a little bit, I don't want to, I don't want to bring any other woman, um, that anxiety thinking that she's not worthy enough or she's not good enough because her body doesn't look like mine. Right. I think that is such a great point. And especially in pregnancy, because Mm -hmm. it's such a sensitive time Mm -hmm. of bodies changing. Um, and in regards to transformation photos, like what I've always tried to do is to write, I write novel captions, you know, like share the story Mm -hmm. about, and, and it's actually, it's actually their story. It's them. I, I usually just word for word, what they described about their journey, the struggles they went through, the ups and downs. 
and about the mental and emotional benefits. I really try to put an emphasis on that. But in regards to the girl coming to my page, you know, I'm, I am so open to this discussion of how I can do better Mm -hmm. in representing fitness and, you know, transformation and progress. I'm open to that conversation, but at the same time, I don't think it's so black and white that Mm -hmm. we should just, you know, never ever show those because for those women, like their stories are so much about empowerment and strength and Mm how, and like their mental and emotional health. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a hard place to represent that on an image based platform, like Instagram, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking in my mind right now, like what would be a more supportive way to, to, to showcase this? And the first thing that came to mind was rather than a side by side, like normally when we see, and I, I don't know what yours look like, but normally when we see transformation yeah. photos, it's like, you know, side profile of like the belly getting smaller or something like that. Right. But, yeah, but yeah. my first thought was, well, what if we, what if you did like a carousel of, of videos of, of the person oh. kind of talking in the first, uh, in, and of course you're going to see the body, but really you're going to get a little bit more insight of to, you know, that person may be feeling tired or maybe feeling like she can't run after her kids or she's, you know, not doesn't have right. the time to plan proper meals or things like that. And then the after of like how she's actually feeling or he's actually feeling and and how these changes have um, kind of empowered them and improved their life. Yeah, that is such a great idea. I want to think more on that and see yeah. how we can implement that. Um, so a few topics that I want to dive into just in regards to Nutrition and female health. Um, So first is we talked a bit about dieting Mm -hmm. and how that in itself a lot of times causes people to get into that position where they feel like they need to diet again. Um, But what about the impact of dieting on your metabolic rate? Yeah, that's a good question and something that I get asked about a lot. I mean, a lot of people talk about, use the word like metabolic damage or starvation mode. Um, I prefer to use the term metabolic adaptation because basically with metabolic damage, there's that's, there's a really negative connotation there. And when really it's actually just a normal and natural survival mechanism that your body right. has to go through um, when there is just not enough calories to go around. So when your body does not have enough energy or calories um, available to use, it basically slows down the metabolism to burn fewer calories throughout the day. So this is basically like its desperate attempt for the body to use that energy for normal every day functions like breathing and digestion and walking and standing and things like that. Um, And so the idea of metabolic adaptation is largely based around theories like set point theory or the dual intervention theory, which is kind of a a variation on set point theory. But in short, set point theory really is suggesting that our bodies have a comfortable weight or weight range that they are genetically just predetermined to maintain, that they'll fight to defend. And when we decrease our intake Um, or we like increase our activity, whichever one, um, our bodies basically really, really fight hard. And there's all these compensatory mechanisms that are put in place to reduce our energy output or increase our energy input in order to maintain that that homeostasis uh, level. And so I always try to um, acknowledge it's kind of like a thermostat. If our if our weight is like a thermostat, if the house gets too cold, it's triggered to cool back down. If it gets too cold, it's triggered to heat back up just so that it stays around the same temperature all the time. And so based on this, what actually ends up happening when we restrict calories too severely and we lose weight beyond where our body is comfortable being, a few mechanisms kind of come into play. And so one is that we have less energy available to push ourselves in the gym, right? We're we're sluggish, we're tired. um, So our physical activity will just naturally decline. Um, We also tend to 
unconsciously move less. So we fidget less. So you probably have heard of NEAT or non-exercise mm-hmm. activity thermogenesis, and, and this tends to decline. Um, we also might absorb more calories from food to compensate for just not getting enough. Um, and when we do lose weight, we are it's just natural that our body's um, metabolism will decline because we just need fewer calories to maintain a lower weight. And then on the energy input side, um, we have a hormone called leptin and leptin is our fullness hormone and leptin will decline. So we just don't feel full. We're just feeling ravenous all the time. And then ghrelin is our hunger hormone that gets revved up mm-hmm. as does cortisol, which cortisol is our stress hormone. And anytime we put our body into a state of stress, whether that is not eating enough or over-exercising or just, you know, feeling the stress of calorie counting all day, that of course (laughs) is also going to go up and that can slow down our metabolism. And then there's also insulin that's, that comes into play because insulin resistance will occur. And, and basically, um, our cells become less responsive to insulin and we see higher blood sugar levels. So it's, it's not a healthy state to, to be, but basically all these things are happening at once in order to help your body fight to maintain its, its set point range. And that's bad enough, but. It looks actually like from what the research has shown us that it's not a precise science. So it's it's not just like um, you know you 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 lose a little bit of weight, so you your your metabolism declines by 500 calories. Now you need 500 calories less. No, research from the Biggest Loser, um, which I'm sure we're all familiar with, the Biggest Loser. Yeah. Um, basically, they, they did some research on their metabolism, and they found that there was huge metabolic decline after they lost the weight, much more so than what they actually predicted for the amount of weight loss. So for example, they actually burned about 500 calories less than what was expected for their reduced weight. So if you just hypothetically normally needed 2000 calories to maintain like 150 pounds and the mathematical equation for whatever, I'm just making something hypothetical, said that you would need 1500 calories um, to maintain a 20 pound weight loss at 130 pounds. The sad reality, the research actually showed that you would actually only be able to consume a thousand calories to maintain your new 130 pounds. So you can see why weight loss for the long term is so hard for people because you have all these things working against you. Um, and ultimately, you can't really eat that much <laughs> um, once you've right. actually gotten down to that weight. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's a lot to that, you know, impacts just like your entire being that is stems from, you know, eating too little calories. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many women come to me and they're like, okay, so I have, you know, in, in my, in my app, a macro calculator mm-hmm. that tells them how much they need. And, you know, it's based off their age, height, weight, activity level, and their goal. And, you know, a lot of times they're like, this is too much food, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm not in the business of telling someone, I will not get my client's results at any cost. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to put you in an extreme deficit. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of trainers do oh, that. Oh, I know. They have these amazing, yeah, you, they have these amazing results and progress photos because they are on such an extreme diet. Like that's not what I'm, I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, so, so many times they're like, I'm so used to eating so little calories, you know, but when I start eating this, you know, like, am I going to gain weight? So that kind of leads me into the next topic. I wanted to um, get your thoughts on reverse dieting. Yeah. So for, for girls that do uh, kind of put themselves in this corner of eating so low calorie, which is not sustainable yeah. and it's just not, you know, right for their health. Um, how do you suggest they go about reverse dieting in a way that isn't going to just cause them to balloon in weight? Yeah. I mean, and that's the point of reverse dieting, right? It's often called the the diet after the diet. It's basically progressively increasing calories over a certain period of time. And the goal, of course, is to kind of boost up your resting metabolic rate back to its original state after a period of Mm -hmm. restriction. Um, And we see this that's done a lot in like the fitness um, industry after fitness competitions. Um, Because I, I mean, I'm sure you know, too, I've seen people who do not um, reverse diet or who are restricting so heavily before a show and then they go back to eating normal and you can't even recognize that person because they don't even look like they did before they started prepping for the show Um, because that metabolism is just crawling at that time after at the the time of the show. Now, unfortunately, there's not actually a lot of good research on reverse dieting, um, but most dietitians who work in sports nutrition will, who use this with clients, will basically start to increase calories about 50 to 100 every week or so and monitor what's going on. And the reason for the slow increase is that we're, we're, we're looking for signs of refeeding syndrome, which, I mean, if you were in a real, real, real deficit, if you were struggling with a disordered eating and things like that, um, there is a risk of something called refeeding syndrome, which is basically your electrolytes and fluids um, can get out of whack and it can be fatal. Um, and then also, of course, that you would want to avoid any huge increases in fat and weight gain for a lot of these people, especially when that's their goal they've they've been trying to lose weight and and right. here you are telling them they actually might need to eat more to lose weight um or just to even maintain that weight um and so it, it it's a progressive increase now that is usually used in populations whose goal is to increase their metabolism without seeing massive spikes in their in their uh, their weight but there's also, I think you, you may have, maybe have you've heard of uh, the all-in, which has now become a yes. lot more popular. Um, yeah. And this is a concept uh, developed by Dr. Nicola Rinaldi. Um, and she's got a great book called No Period, Now What? And this this concept actually wasn't really developed necessarily for um, kind of restoring met- metabolism, so to speak, because its roots have really nothing to do with with body weight or weight loss or things like that. It has been it was developed for women to kind of for hormonal restoration mm-hmm. um, for women who've lost their period, who um, may be having fertility issues, are not ovulating, um, who have HA, so hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, and so in this kind of scenario, it's kind of, instead of the slow, gradual approach, you're aiming for minimum of 2,500 calories a day right out the gate, um, cutting back on exercise, reducing stress, and often does involve gaining some fat and gaining some weight in order to restore your your fertile weight, so to speak, um, where your body wants to be. And and so your aesthetic weight may not look like your fertile weight. Um, but for a lot of women, of course, who are trying to get pregnant, and, and I can speak to this because I struggled to get pregnant, and I know, um, you know, how... 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's how desperate you feel. Yeah. For for a lot of women, it's well worth gaining some weight um, in order to 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 bear a child. Um, so, uh, and, and that is where your your you know your period is more likely if you have that that little bit of fat or that weight that is restored. Yeah, I did IVF mm-hmm. after two years of trying and I was diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And one of the steps, you know, in that two-year process was them telling me, okay, we understand this is your profession, mm-hmm. but we want you to start, you know, gaining a little bit of weight, eating more calories and exercising less. And personally, because my journey, my fitness journey never revolved around aesthetics, I was like, that's fine. Yeah. Like I get to eat more? Cool. You yeah. know, and, and I talked about it on my page because I wanted to say like, hey, this is a real part of life. Like I'm going to be gaining weight and that's okay. Yeah. You know, um, so anyways, actually, that does also bring me right into the next topic I wanted to ask you about, because I saw a conversation um, of someone saying, hey, I've lost my period, you know, after starting my fitness journey. Is that OK? And someone replied and they said, yeah, it's OK. Like I did, too. And I talked to my doctor and my doctor said that everything looks good. And I was like, oh, I don't think that is accurate. And it's a little dangerous to be telling someone else, you know, that it's okay to be losing their period. Because it's sure if they talk to their doctor, that is between them and their Mm -hmm. doctor. But everyone is different. There could be a very serious reason why this other woman has lost her period. So on that note, um, is it ever okay to lose someone's period? And why or why not? Um, it's definitely not a good sign. I mean, you're, it means your your body is operating suboptimally and basically having to shift resources to other areas of health just to keep you alive. Um, and and we see this often when there is an underconsumption of calories, over exercising, and just um, too low body fat level to sustain the hormones that are required for proper ovulation. And I mean, there are lots of other reasons why one might lose their period, whether that's PCOS or, um, you know, other kind of gynecological issues. Um, But generally, if you've gone your whole life going with a normal, regular period, and suddenly you have changed certain things in your lifestyle as it pertains to your diet, exercise regime, your body weight, body fat, etc., it's a pretty good bet that you are experiencing thing like a hypothalamic amenorrhea situation um, and that the only real way to resolve that issue is to reverse the things that you were doing. So that means eating more calories, exercising less, and probably gaining some weight and gaining some fat. Um, and that's going to get your, your weight back into that fertile zone like we talked about. Yeah. Um, I was really yeah shocked to see that even mm-hmm. a doctor would tell someone that it's okay to lose their period when to my, I mean, I'm not a doctor and mm-hmm. I'm not a dietitian, you know, like I, there's so much that I have to learn, but I was like, I, I just <laughs> don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. So in those cases, you said that they would need to be eating more calories. Correct. And, um, I had, <laughs> I had a, a podcast guest on. It was a very controversial uh, episode, and uh, he was very into uh, holistic medicine, mm-hmm. which I I mm-hmm. am very big on. Kind of marrying the two Eastern mm-hmm. and Western sides. I think that there's you know so much on both sides that it's really great. But um, he made a comment that like women lose their periods, and juicing is something that can help them. And I was like. 
I told her, it's like, actually, no, they just need, it, it comes down to your energy balance, right? Your intake mm-hmm. and your expenditure. Okay, wow. great. So I'm happy to have confirmation oh, from you. <laughs> no, there's so much misinformation out there when it comes to yeah. your periods. I mean, I've even seen some influencers say that, you know, losing your period is a good thing. It means like you're cleansing yourself of toxins or something. And I mean, that is such dangerous information to be given giving oh women um, that because essentially it's 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 telling them that they they need to restrict in order to to get to this holy um, clean state and and that is just so wrong and and like like you I'm also an IVF mom and I and I know how um, how hard this journey is and I don't wish this on anybody um, so you know if I can and this is something I've talked about quite a lot on my channel because if I can help other women avoid avoid having to go through the emotional and physical and financial strain (laughs) of IVF, um, then that's, that's a worthy, that's a worthy cause for me. And so I I think that we really need to be empowering women to eat enough and, uh, and make that a priority. It doesn't really matter. And, and some people will say, well, I don't ever want to have kids and that's fine, but your period is still a really important part of just your, your body operating optimally. And so whether or not you want to conceive or or be a mom has nothing to do with it. Um, it's a pretty pretty strong indicator that something is going wrong if you lose your period. And and outside of fertility, in in the sense of having a child or or getting pregnant, um, there's also a risk of um, low bone density and osteoporosis. I mean, we talk about the female athlete Tryon. That's my next topic well, for perfect. you. <laughs> there you go. So. That's, I mean, and it's a related thing because often this is observed in women who are over-exercising, not consuming enough energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically three main things, low energy availability with or without disordered eating, menstrual dysfunction in some way, either that's irregularity or just no period at all, and then low bone density. And so that's a big problem because women can actually break bones and they're only 30 years old. And um, how horrible would that be, especially if you are an active woman who is passionate about exercise and you've taken it one step too far and now you're basically debilitating. Right. Yeah. So it's, I I really, I think that it's important to, um, to really educate people on there's actual real dangers here of, of chronic under eating or, or under fueling. Yeah. And on the note of fertility, I would love to get your thoughts on some topics that me being a first time mom pregnant mm-hmm. for the first time, I'm seeing all these, all these like old wives tales and myths and two in particular is that, I mean, okay, I was told, Hey, this is somewhat of an old wives tale, but yep. it doesn't hurt. So the two things are eating six dates a day and uh, red raspberry leaf tea. So what are your thoughts on each of those? Okay, so dates. Um, this is actually, <laughs> it's funny that you bring this up because I actually did this with my last pregnancy because I was so desperate to go into real labor by myself. <laughs> right. And I, you know, like you do all the things, like you're almost there. So I, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was eating ch- like really spicy food and bouncing on a ball mm-hmm. and taking all the stupid. Anyways, it was... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I did a lot of that. But anyways, yes, there is actually like some research to suggest that um, dates can, I believe, speed up labor or um, yeah, like make it a, a faster labor, which can lead to fewer interventions and things like that. Um, red raspberry leaf tea. And there are a few things that I know I use red raspberry leaf tea in my IVF journey. Um, yeah. But I have a, 
I have a list of of things on my blog that I've you know you look at you look into all of these things. There's just so have you started to because I know at the end of um, at the end of pregnancy they're also recommending red raspberry leaf tea. Um, I think as a way to speed up labor and a lot of these things there is some research on them. It's not like we have absolutely nothing, um, but in all in the grand scheme of things, if baby's just not ready to come, baby's not ready to come. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, we can do all the things, but we're do on it all, their but like, time clock. Yeah, honestly, I love dates. So when they told me that, I was like, "Great! Like, yeah. I'll eat six dates a day." You know, I mean, I will say that like the sugar content is a little. I don't want to say it's concerning, but it just makes me think like, "Well, do I? You know, should I compensate for eating six dates? You right. know, in in terms of you know the rest of my you know sugar intake or this or that?" But um. So how about caffeine? This mm-hmm. is another one that I feel like, and I want to say my husband is born and raised Rome, Italy. Like espresso is a way of life <laughs> for them. And, you know, I, I asked his, him to ask his mom, like, is this a thing? Because we hear in the U.S., like, no caffeine in pregnancy whatsoever. And then you hear about any, you know, under 200 milligrams is safe. And, but I wanted to ask him and have, a, you know, ask his mom, like, is this a thing in Italy? And he was like, yeah, no, like, that's not yeah. even really a conversation. But I will say, I think something that is so important to point out is that Italians just have, like, balance built into Correct everything and we do not americans do not so i feel like that's a really important distinction italians are not going in and having five espressos or a huge you know they don't have starbucks except for milan you know like a huge you know venti you know frappuccino so on that note what are your thoughts on caffeine and pregnancy um uh, my thoughts are um that as long as you're keeping it to you know under 200 to 300 milligrams a day that it's considered safe um ultimately it really comes down to your own comfort level um and you know for me the risk with caffeine is that there is a slight increased risk of miscarriage for at higher doses, of course. Um, right. So for somebody like me who already struggled with miscarriage, I was like, in my first trimester, I was like, I am not taking this risk. But I did in my last pregnancy, I drank ca- coffee the whole time. Um, and I just didn't crave it this time. So I didn't like feel like I was really heavily missing out. I kind of just like, it was kind of an aversion almost at the beginning. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if this is, if it's part of your life, I always say, and this is true for anything fertility related, if it's interfering with your your enjoyment of life to uh, cut things out or to add things in or to obsess over all these supplements and regimes, it's like that's just going to stress you out more and that's not going to actually help your journey. So right. um, with caffeine, I mean, if you're keeping to that that cup a day, I don't see an issue. Um, and, uh, and, and, the, and on the flip side, I think a lot of people will think, oh, well, then I'll just drink like lots of herbal tea instead. But some herbs may not be safe in pregnancy. So it's not necessarily um, like just an easy swap. So you just have to be mindful about what you are choosing and what what the potential um, outcomes are of that. Yeah. And um, this pregnancy currently, this is your IVF pregnancy. Is that Mm. correct? Or was it your first? Both are. Yeah, both are. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So if we're, I'm two weeks ahead of you, so probably early December-ish was yeah. your transfer. Okay, yeah. November, I think, 22nd was mine. Nice. And how, how has your pregnancy been going this time around? 
Um, you know, it's, it's different than my first, that's for sure. Um, I don't know if that's, I always say like, I don't know if it's just cause I'm tired, more tired cause I'm older and I've got a toddler and it's COVID, yeah. which is already weird. <laughs> um, yes. but, uh, but certainly a more difficult pregnancy. My first, I had tons of energy. I was like literally on a spin bike until the day I gave birth. Now I like, wow. I had a, I would just like pass out. Like I'm so tired. Um, by like three o'clock but I, I it's just there's a lot more going on in my life so I think that it's yeah. ba balancing a lot a lot more things um and also I don't know how you feel but my first pregnancy was a winter pregnancy so that I much preferred this su this summer is at least where I am is so hot that my hands are blowing up and my feet are blowing up and I'm just like I can't even go outside and enjoy this beautiful weather uh with my right. kid because I ca I can't do anything other than like put my feet into the kiddie pool so right um we moved to Texas when no. I was 28 weeks no. pregnant so it is yeah I can't we we go on our nightly walks at like 8 30 p.m to. and my my, my hands still swell mm -hmm. up you Me know too. within five minutes so um so Abby I just have um two more questions for you yeah. so really quickly um can you share with everyone where they can find and follow you Absolutely. So I'm at abbyskitchen.com and you can find me on YouTube at Abby's Kitchen um, and social media at Abby's Kitchen, all the places, all the regular places. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And then my last question. So the name of the podcast is Your Best Life, which the point is that there's no, that doesn't exist. One best life doesn't you know, it's, it's about what, you know, the experiences that each individual has has allowed them to live their own version of their best life. Um, so if you had to think of one thing that has allowed you to get there, uh, what would that be? Ooh, I think it's just, um, finding little things that, that bring you joy. And, and for me, I am so lucky and blessed that I have built my own career like you, um, the exact way that I want it. And, and it's been great because I've been able to adapt it and change it as I grew a family and become more family oriented. Um, so yeah. for me, it's, it's, um, the, uh, the amazing ability that I have to, to fill every single day with something that excites me and, and both at work and both at ho and, and home as well. Amazing. Great. Abby, this was so informative and I can't wait for everyone to listen. Thank you so much for joining me and the best of luck in these last four weeks for you and with your delivery. Thank you. You as well. Thank you. That was my conversation with Abby Sharp. So Luca, what did you think? It was great. Absolutely great. I really like the idea of the fun food instead of the cheat food. Right. Especially when you have kids. Uh, oh, yes. I was going to say, you know? I do think that that might be more in the context of having kids. Yes. Sure, for yes. adults too. But I think that just especially in terms of not stigmatizing food, you know, not saying good or bad. I think that's a great point. I have to say, like I said, I was not expecting... I didn't plan on going in on this topic about the transformation photos, you know, thing, because, you know, this girl that came to my page yesterday and kind of, she tried to put me on blast and like a lot of her followers came to my page to try to bash me. And what was really unfortunate about it is that they were just looking at one snapshot of the fact that I post a few, I don't even post as many as I used to transformation photos. And that all of a sudden means every every other word of you know encouragement and body positivity that I have to say is worthless which is just not fair um but I I am open to this conversation about transformation photos I don't think it's as black and white as they're wanting to make it seem but I right. love what Abby said about kind of having a carousel more about their journey oh I loved it I think it's a great idea yeah it's such a great idea 
I do think that for someone in my position that it might be a little hard because like people don't know to document that part of their journey. Like I do it because that's what I do. You know, I document my journey in my life, but your everyday person typically doesn't unless you're an FBG girl and in the FBG community. (laughs) So I really want to explore that more because I do completely agree that transformation photos, you know, they, they, they just show a before and an after and not and those, the before and the after, like, that's not even what's most important. It's the journey. It's what you go through in between and all the ups and downs that you experience that you don't get to see just from two side-by-side photos. So, And she probably didn't you know, read the caption of the stories. Exactly. Of those because, right. You know, yeah. I'm very lucky that I get very, very few people like that coming at me because I do think that most people take the time to read through my post and see, you know, that that there's, you know, a lot more to it than just sharing transformation photos. But I also, what Abby said, it's so important to meet people where they're at, because if you don't, if you just, you know, scream in their face, like, don't care about what you weigh or what you look like, they're just going to go find someone else that's going to tell them what they want to hear. And ultimately that's not going to help them. And so anyways, this could be another podcast topic. So guys, aside from this topic, um, I hope you enjoyed um, hearing my conversation with Abby. I can't wait to hear what you think. Um, Let me know on Insta or in our Facebook group, and I'll talk to you guys next time. And that is it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to share with a friend, spread the word and help us grow our tribe. Please rate and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes each week. You can also follow us on Instagram and join our Facebook group, both under the same name, Your Best Life Podcast, to keep the conversation going. You can also send me an email at yourbestlifepodcast at gmail.com and you just might be featured in a future episode. Your Best Life is a Gallery Media Group original production.